Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. How you guys doing? Welcome to episode 797. Don't forget to like and subscribe over on the YouTube channel. Second half of the show, we got China Dow coming up. But today, we're going to start our series on what's happening in the Mongols' motion to get a new retrial. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that has been coming out of this trial. Today, we're going to be talking about just some, a little bit of what happened when little Dave took the stand, answer some questions, find out what's going on. Whoa, this is something else. Let me tell you a lot of stuff nobody has ever heard. I'm going to go over some of the transcripts, especially when it involves a long-standing debate. And that is, if little Dave ran in the casino in Laughlin when all that stuff popped off between the Mongols and the Hells Angels. Everybody's seen this video. Everybody. But here's the thing. There's always been a debate on both sides of yes or no. We finally got the answer from little Dave himself. He let it slip. And you're going to see it in the transcripts. But before we do, I want to play a little bit of this video for those that have never seen it. So let's go. I'm going to narrate a little bit. And again, this is at Laughlin. So right there with the circle and the arrow, that is Little Dave. As you can tell, there's Hell's Angels up in front. Hell, one just walked into the middle of the pack. He started in the middle, and as you can see, is making his way to the back of the whole nine, you know, the whole casino floor. He's looking around, he's looking around. Doc's right there in the circle. He's right up there uh, with the action that uh, is about to happen. As you can see, he makes his way even further back in the pack. And he's just watching and there's some stuff going on in the front. As you can say, uh, see little Dave already in the back. That is from the video. Now he says something to the security guard and the security guard starts moving forward again i don't know what he said to the security guard we'll try to find that out doc's still up there there's the melee why ain't he moving up he's just watching casually what's going on oh there it is he starts jacking and running right there as the video says little dave running like a coward again let's see if we'd have pulled that section of the video there he is in a corner everybody's getting ready to go and boom you know he says 
and you'll hear it in his testimony that this ain't the full one, but the Miles attorney offered to play the full hour of this tape. What's interesting is when he turned, you can see the other Mongols still facing forward and about to get into the melee. But little Dave didn't. Now, little Dave says he didn't run at all until he got tripped up. <laughs> Big time tripped up. Uh, let me get this uh, removed, ready to go. There we go. We're back in uh, action here. Now, here is the transcripts. This is the public transcripts of the hearing. Now, there, you know, it starts on page 22 uh, talking about this incident. There's a lot more up there. But we're going to go over this one because this has to be answered once and for all. Now, the questions are coming from Joe Yanni. He is the Mongols attorney in this case. Question. At Laughlin, you didn't have anything to worry about because you ran. Little Dave answered, no, I didn't run, Joe. Look at the video. Why don't you get the real unedited video, he says. Joe comes back. Well, you want to watch the whole hour-long video? Why don't we watch the part that counts? The court, which is the judge, are we going to show the Laughlin tape at this time? Joe comes back and says, we're going to show the portion, uh, portion that shows Little Dave. It don't say Little Dave, but I'm not going to go all of that. And then it says, do we have an exhibit number? The judge goes back, do you want to make this number eight? That's your next exhibit number. Yanni goes and says, this is exhibit eight. We've got it on the screen. And then they go back and forth to be, you know, between that. And then the court says on exhibit eight, you circled two people in blue. Yanni goes back. Do you recognize the people in the circle on this video? Little Dave answers. Yes. To the left is me on the corner. Yanni, you are in the back. He goes, yeah. Now, remember from the video, he started in the middle of the pack and slowly, in, you know, slowly made to his, uh, the back of the room nonchalant. You know what I mean? Question, who is the guy further in front? He answered, I think it's Doc. I'm not sure. Well, we all can see it's Doc. Doc Cavazos. I think so, he says. I'm not sure. I can't see his face. Joe said, he'll turn around in a second and you can see his face. Would you tell us what's happening in this frame of the video? They put a frame up. And little Dave says, everybody is just standing around seeing if shit is going to kick off. Question, were there hell's angels there already? He answered, I believe so. Well, you've seen him walking in the middle of the pack. Question, and they would have been where? Up towards the upper right? He says, okay. And Roger Penny was off to the left over by the slot machine, wasn't he? Answer, 
I'm assuming so. I don't see him. Wasn't it your job to protect Roger that day? No. So he goes further and plays some more of the tape. Did you get a look? Is that Doc the guy further up from you? He says, I believe, yeah, it looks like him. Now, another question that came forward. Yeah, now in this frame, you can only see Mongols, right? He answers, right. Let us know when you start to see Hell's Angels come that day. I believe they were already there, he goes. Do you see any in this frame? No. Okay, let us know when you do see some in the frame. Run that back a little bit. Question, those are Hell's Angels coming in now. You can see where they were walking in the middle of the pack. It looks like it, he said. And where, what are you doing? Right there to the right. Question, you're running. Answer, everybody's been looking at for this answer for a long time to end the debate. Here is the question again. You're running. His answer, not yet. Out of his own mouth, not yet. I'm going to go back up there so you to hear this. Those are Hell's Angels coming in now. Answer, it looks like it. Question, and what are you doing? Answer, right there to the right. Question, you're running. Answer, not yet. He comes back with not yet. He tries to cover it by saying there were shots being fired already. That's interesting. He was the only one running, and if there were shots being fired, why wasn't anybody else moving? You've seen everybody looking forward. So how was the shots being fired already? He was already gone. I don't get it. Question, where's Doc? He says, I guess, at, on the top. If shots were fired, why wasn't he running? He came back and said he's running. Trust me, everybody did right after that. Interesting business right there. Interesting business. Didn't seem like it. Didn't seem like it at all. And he says he's running. Trust me, everybody did right after. Videotape continued to play. That's it? How convenient he comes back. Did you run back? Yeah, I actually did. After the shooting was done, I had somebody shooting a handgun behind my head. I'm asking the questions, Yanni says. This isn't even relevant. <laughs> he was trying to get out of what he just put himself into. And for those that say, well, if they were shooting, you'd run too. If you looked at the video, we just showed it. And I'm going to show it again right now. Let's take a look at it. Okay. Again, 
as you can see, he's in the back right now. In the back, and you can see the security guard push forward. All the other Mongols are facing forward, getting crunched up a little bit. There he goes. There is the fight. See how everybody's moving forward. This is where he claims that shots were being fired. If shots were being fired, why the hell are these two guys just sitting there? Come on. You can't make... Sh we're not stupid. And you said... You said, I'm going to get back here. Those are hell, those are the hell's angels coming in now. Answer, it looks like it. Question, and what are you doing? Answer, right there to the right. Question, you're running. And then the answer everybody's been finally wondering about, not yet. And then as the questions go on, he's getting frustrated. He knows, you know, to me, he knows what's up. He just admitted it. And then he goes on about how everybody started to run. The video didn't show that. It didn't show that. And according to your own words. Not yet. You were running. Anyway, that is just one portion of what's coming out in this case, and it gets even better, even better as we go along. But next episode, we got to get into some biker news, and then we'll get right back to this. All kinds of information. All kinds. <laughs>
Chris Neon Yellow. The shoes were checkered. The fanny pack was filled to the max. And this was playing on your bright yellow Walkman. Welcome to Generation Rad. WMMR DB Rockford. What's up, everyone? How you guys doing? Welcome to the second half of the show. Unfortunately, my co-host is not here today. She's at work. Boy, she kicking ass at her job. She is, what, going to run the store pretty soon by herself. You're stuck with me today. How's everybody doing in Discord over on the Google app Rock and Roll? Boy, was that a freaking development in the Moggles trial. And you're asking yourself, what does that have to do with anything that was in 2002? That was the line of questioning that was laying the foundation of what Little Dave is about. Getting cornered. Good job to the Mongols attorney, Joseph Yanni. He's really kicking ass, man. A lot of stuff coming out in this trial. As you heard in the other episode from Little Dave's Mouth, he was indeed talking to John Sassone during the trial, and we put up the video from Gunner's Collective when he did say, well, I do have to talk to him about the legal stuff, the trial. You cannot do that kind of stuff. Because you are representing the defendant. John is on the opposite side. And why does it matter? It matters because you are giving away defense strategy. You can again do that. We have most of the transcripts coming in right now. Yesterday they were in court and I hear it didn't go too well for Little Dave and the government. Why am I going on and on about covering Little Dave? For one, it's news. For two, we have a ton of clubs that are very interested in what is happening in this trial. Everybody's hoping that the Mongols get a retrial because it affects every single club, every single organization out there. And a lot of people are saying, well, why ain't the club letting us die? It's not the club guys that were going to the media. It was not them. They have stayed quiet. They are presenting their case in court. They are not presenting their case in the public square like Little Dave. I've heard their former attorneys are going to be called to the stand as well. Man, this trial is better than the Amber Heard trial. But what was the foundation of the questions that Joseph Yanni, the Mongols' attorney, was asking. Well, in Laughlin in 2002, because this has been a debate forever, he's denied this over and over again, the story has changed over and over again, but he is now under oath in federal court. 
And if you get caught up lying in federal court, your ass is going to get a perjury charge. And they will get your ass a perjury charge. When I seen that in the transcript, I was like, finally it comes out and it comes out of his own mouth. Little Dave is a narcissist. He thinks he is a godfather. He thinks he's the one that made the Mongols. And that is the dangerous part of people like him in MCs. When you have a guy who thinks they're the club and everybody else is the peons, it becomes a problem. And this guy has been used to running around taking the spotlight. That's why he's out in the media. Because he wants that spotlight. He wants his 15 minutes of fame. Everybody's going around saying, why hasn't the Mongols taken care of business? You cannot take care of business in these days and ages. Because everybody knows everything. He immediately went to the media, all these gang channels first. Then he came on ours and got destroyed. Then he went to the cinema mills, which is a softball interview. I guess they're following him around. I wonder if they're going to show the part where little Dave was standing uh, in the hallway with a bunch of freaking feds. And then, you know, all them making fun of uh, the Mongols attorney. I wonder if they're going to show that part. Who knows? Who knows? It also came out in court, and we'll be reading the transcripts, but you're hearing it first. There was a photograph of little Dave having a beer with Cervantes. Now, he was, I believe, a Montebello police officer that was working the case with John Sassone. And this is after he was already kicked out of the club. Sitting there having a beer with the guy that's been wanting to take you down for the last 13 years. He was asked in court what he was doing there because that bowling alley was clear across town. Why did you choose that specific bowling alley? And why did you sit down with the nemesis and have a couple beers? Do you know what his answer is? Well, I'm a civilian. I can do what I want now. Which, hey, is true. You can do what you want as a civilian. But this guy was trying to bust you for 13 years. He was trying to throw your ass in jail for 13 fucking years. That you were the international president. But you're going to go and have a beer with them? None of this makes any sense. See, when you tell lies, you have to keep up with them lies. And if you're caught in a lie, you got to go with another lie. That is what's going on with little Dave right now. The Mongols attorney is chewing them the fuck up. Now, the judge in the case, and you'll see through transcripts, because I'm going to start posting these transcripts since 
They're public now. They're public information. And you can read through everything. The judge loves to interrupt. The judge loves to give the Moggles attorney hell. And why is that? Well, for one, a half a million dollars. They were fined for that RICO case a half a million dollars. And it's paid. Everybody had to come out of pocket with it. And they got it paid. So there's a half a million dollars at stake right now that they'd have to give back until the retrial. Secondly, the judge knows that it is unethical for the person that's leading the defense to have any inappropriate relationship with anybody on the prosecution team. Anybody. And we also got Annie's testimony, which is little Dave's wife. It is uh, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp don't have shit on this trial. The first day little Dave was on the stand and it got me thinking. Now this is just opinion, guys. When he was on the stand, there was a defense attorney for the Mexican Mafia that came into court. This attorney contacted the Mongols saying some of her case would be relevant to the Mongols case. As everybody knows, there was always a strife between the Mexican Mafia and the Mongols. The case and what they're looking at right now is sealed. They are trying to get some of the records unsealed. And little Dave has something to do with the case with the Mexican Mafia. Now that case hasn't gone to trial. It's been years, but it still hasn't gone to trial. But whatever is in that sealed case seems to be very interesting. Very interesting. It has to, or why would the Mexican Mafia's attorney come in to the trial to present evidence to the court for the Mongols. I always wondered why little Dave, who was the former international president of the Mongols, would go to a gang channel first. Why wouldn't he go to a biker channel? We have the bigger reach, all of us biker creators. Why did he decide to go to American Cholo first? And why? Well, actually, he didn't go to American Cholo first. He went to Gunner's Collective in Rojo. And Gunner's Collective, and we uh, played a portion of that tape where Gunner got him on record. Well, it was off record, but got his ass where he admitted that him and John were talking during the trial. 
Why did he go to them first? You know, the Norteños are Northerners, and the Mexican Mafia is Southerners. But if you had to prove your case that you were not a rat to a gang channel instead of the biker channels, you can, con- you know, draw your own conclusions right there, can't you? So it was interesting that this woman came into the Mongols' trial. A lot of these transcripts from his testimony, and it's still going. If the judge was not taking this motion to vacate seriously, it wouldn't be going this far. He could have ruled on day one, this is bullshit. Good luck in the Ninth Circuit Court. But he hasn't. He hasn't done that. Right now I think it's maybe 60-40 in favor of a new retrial. We're, we're looking at it. You know, that's what we're hoping. And when a federal judge, he wanted to make sure that the ATF agent, John Sassone, was testifying while little Dave was in that court. He specifically said, I want him to testify with little Dave in that court. I know what he is doing. He's probably reading body language at that point. The judge ain't stupid. This guy ain't stupid at all. Why wouldn't little Dave allow his attorney to call him? His answer to why he would not testify, again, in the transcripts, was because he felt that he test- if he testified, he would get recoded. Why are you going to get Rico? This is a civil trial. Why were you afraid to come to the forefront and help your club by testifying? You're sure to hell doing it now. You've been every on every damn media platform there is, even the New York Times, ABC News, Los Angeles. But why wouldn't you do it in the original trial? And his answer was he didn't want to get caught up in any charges. His answer also with the videotape. Why were you worried about having an exit strategy? Well, if you had to be worried about an exit strategy, why didn't you just fucking leave the club? He was worried according to him, that somebody that wasn't friendly like John to the club was going to be coming up into his position. We have a lot of... See, little Dave, he is polished. He knows how to tell a story. He knows how to come off sincere. 
But if you watch his body motions, you can tell he's lying. See, on the street, it is a lot different, and a lot of people don't understand the street. Especially when you're fucking around with M.A. and the Norteños. Those are some heavy fucking hitters. It has nothing to do with any biker stuff. They are heavy fucking movers of drugs, prostitution, gambling, and it's all run out of the prison system out in Cali. These guys will not fuck around with you. They'll cut your head off with a fucking chainsaw. So that's what leads me to believe there's something fucking fishy here. So he has to be polished. He has to put on a different front, if you will. A different front to those that are bangers and those that are bikers. Because he already knows a lot of bikers won't pick up on what's going on in the street. How many times have we said clubs are not gangs? And I truly believe they're not gangs, and there's a reason for that. Because they're not as sophisticated as a street gang. And I've always said they can't even get the kickstands up at noon to get off on a ride. That's how unorganized they are. If you look at this whole thing, when it really started under Doc... And by the way, Doc's out of prison for those that don't know. The reason why the Mongols had to start recruiting bangers was because they were in a position where they would have had to face off with one of the most deadliest street gangs, prison gangs in the world. So they were recruiting anybody and anybody because they needed their numbers up. Because the Mexican Mafia in Southern California rules the street as far as Latino gangs are concerned. You have Latino gangs out in the Southern, you're in with the Mafia, Mexican Mafia. Ain't gonna fuck with you. They even control MS-13 there in Cali. So it makes sense that he had to put on this front on American Cholo. My interest still is why he didn't give Gunner's Collective Rojo the interview. Because those are the first ones he ran to. But as if you look at or hear the video that Gunner did, you can see Gunner wasn't going to be nice to him. He was going to ask the hard questions. Just like I did and Wild on Twos did in our interview with him. So he had to go to somebody that was going to be semi-friendly to him. Because he had to get his message out to the street gangs. That, hey, I'm not a rat. What the Mongols are alleging is an inappropriate relationship. 
Now, you can take that any way you want to take that. But one thing's for sure, you can't be leading the fucking defense. Because what's John going to do as an ATF agent? He's getting some intel, and he's handing it right over to the prosecutors. Now, the lead prosecutor in the 2018 case, he retired. Went in the private practice as soon as the motion to vacate was filed. It'd be interesting if Joe calls them to the stand. And no, Jay, man, I'm not defending Doc. But I can see how it would play out on the streets. Because if you're facing down the Mexican Mafia, you need all the numbers you can get. It's a street game. You know, that's why when the cops and the media call clubs gangs, they really are not. You have individuals that break off and do their own thing. Because if it was organized, everybody be making them dues. But Doc had a choice. When you have an organization of the caliber of the Mexican Mafia trying to extort you, and if you have to fight back, you need soldiers. That's how this game works. You need soldiers to fight. And the Mongols weren't that big back then. You got to remember, a lot of them Mongols back then had already street ties to the gang system. A lot of them came from there. It's mostly a Latino organization. So, of course, a lot of them guys are going to come from the gang system. And that's one of the things that the Mexican Mafia was pissed about, by the way. Was the Mongols were recruiting members of Latino street gangs. And at that point, they wanted their pay. If you look into the history of M.A. or Mexican Mafia during those times. All the Latino street gangs had a fall in order. They had to kick up some cake. If they didn't, they were taken out. So when the Mongols started recruiting some of the gangbangers, that pissed them off. Because, hey, why are you so fucking special? Just because you're a motorcycle club, but you're recruiting our people. So you got to pay just like everybody else. And a lot of people say, well, why are motorcycle clubs now playing by prison gang rules? 
you have to remember, clubs are not fucking Boy Scouts. You're going to have stupid shit. And when you go into the prison system, it's a whole different freaking environment. It's a whole different set of rules than when you were on the streets. That's why I say with the mixed race clubs, okay, you got a white guy, you got a black guy. Brothers to the end, they say. But that all changes when you go to the joint. Especially here in Illinois, New York, L.A. It all changes. Different rules. You go by race at that point. And you have to have a type of working relationship with some of the organizations inside. Because it would be easy as fuck to take one of your guys out and there's nothing you can do about it. It's behind bars. So you got a white guy, black guy, and a mixed race club. They go to the joint. It's automatically, they got to go towards the race. You might have, well, in L- or L.A., you might have the bl- uh, black gorilla family. In the white side, you might have Aryan Brotherhood. Texas, the Texas Aryan Brotherhood, or the Texas Lowriders. In Illinois, you're looking at Northsiders. So you're going to go if you, you, you're not going to make it in a heavy max without being gang affiliated. So now the supposed brother you had in your club is on the other side of the fence. And when shit busts loose, you might be fighting each other. A lot of the hardcore one percenter clubs have now started going with prison rules. If you're an enemy, you're an enemy. And that's why you're seeing a lot of these melees happen all the time on the streets. That's why you'll see, you know, a couple clubs go after another couple clubs. And there's deep-rooted reasons for that that a lot of people don't get to see that are on the internet and don't understand how it all works. Unless you are in that type of life, you're not going to get it. Because a lot of people have asked that question, why did little Dave go with them instead of the biker channels? Well, he has to get his message out to them. And nobody's going to hit him in a motorcycle club. Who's going to want to take that risk? The ones that are going to freaking get close to him are them fucking street gangs. They're not going to play around with them. And yes, Doc, he stood strong as a national. And when it went down, it went south. I've always said, if you're facing 10 years, that's one thing. But if you're facing 25 to life, you're going to see a lot of people jumping ship. That's just like the case down in Florida with Taco Bowman. You had Hicks and you had a chapter president. They were hardcore gangsters at the time. 
it was like a terror train in the 1990s if you were around. Here you got a president, here you got the regional, and they were hardcore to the bone until the feds dropped that hammer. It was that at that time they gave up Taco. And ain't that a shame, too. I've always said if you want to live the game, then live the game. Be a man, take on your responsibilities. If you get busted, you get busted because you knew what the hell you were getting into. That's why it's really hard to trust people in the gang life or even the club life. I've been writing uh, the follow-up book to Brotherhood and Betrayal. This one's going to be Brother and, uh, what is it? Brotherhood and Betrayal Underground where I go into a lot of why you can't trust anybody. And it's specifically because of what Hicks did to Taco Bowman and other stuff that happened during the 1990s. That was, 1990s was the pivotal, and I'm talking pivotal, height of all the violence and outbreaks uh, within motorcycle clubs. It was nasty business in the 1990s, people. And there was a lot of moving parts back then. But one thing's for sure, if you're ever going to get into dirt, honestly, you can't trust fucking anybody. And that's been one of the downfalls with a lot of these clubs is the brotherhood deal. I'm sorry, when you're doing dirt, there ain't no fucking brotherhood. And there never will be. Because it's all about the cash and staying up on one or the other. That's just the facts of life. We're going to take a music break. We'll be right back and discuss some other stuff. Again, China Dow's at work. I miss China Dow already.
Feed 
missed it china dow she released her first episode china's chit chat on all the major podcast platforms i go to spotify if i were you guys and not because they're sponsoring me but because they got a better platform if you ask me it's more you know slim down and shit but she brought up a lot of good stuff she talked about women bikers and how it is now acceptable for a woman to jump on a motorcycle and ride and have her own freedom. Man, she is dying to get her own bike. I can already tell she's already dying to do it. Problem is, I look after her and I don't think it's a good ideal right now because she's not as coordinated, if you will. She'd have drive the shit out of a stick shift. But when it comes to a motorcycle, she's not coordinated enough. But she really brought up a lot of good points about women on bikes. And let's admit, us men, are us idiots, look down on that somewhat. I know I did, because women, the only one that rode bikes were butches. But now it's become more mainstream, and if we look at our history... It's people like me that are the actual idiots. 
because women rode all the time in the early days. Harley-Davidson, Indian, all of them had their different riding organization. It was like a whole event to get together and just go riding. And women were a part of that. I don't think it was until the 60s when this whole attitude of women not being you know, able to ride bikes or it wasn't advisable came into play. And that really lasted, I would have to say, the next 40 years until today when it is pretty cool to see women on bikes, man. You got some hot-ass women that are on bikes. Sometimes it does piss you off because they got better bikes than you. But it is kind of fucking sexy, okay? But don't take that as, you know, I wouldn't want to see him posing in front of them motherfuckers either. So she did a real good episode on that. She's more comfortable on the radio than she is in front of the camera doing this stuff. Very proud of her. So this episode that she talks about is on the podcast platforms. Now, if you're a lady, make sure to go join her group. She has a thousand women in her Facebook group. I'm sitting here like, damn, that's a lot of menstrual cycles. But she really takes the time to weed out those that are trying to get in that are men, you fucking freaks, trying to put pictures of you as a woman. What the fuck is wrong with you? Over a thousand women and they're all getting together. They're all talking. They're riding together. So she has a really good group for you women out there that just want to sit there, talk motorcycles and shit like that. She was talking about her dream ride is to do Route 66. So now I got to plan that shit for her. She wants to ride 66. And she also talked about, you know, the attitude towards women and shit like that. Which I know had to be a reference towards my ass. Because I do kind of get out of hand with uh, the way I look at women. Gotta say, congratulations to China Doll on her first episode. Real good fucking shit that she put out. War has been declared. Did you guys know that? War has been declared. I'm sure, because some of the other biker platforms have done this story, everybody heard about Antifa getting their ass whooped by a one percenter club in Portland. Actually, they got beat up by bitches, too. (laughs) Anyway, they're now on the internet declaring war against motorcycle clubs in Oregon. Are these fucking... They're fucking stupid. This ain't like the Proud Boys. You're go... And there's a lot of people that are coming out right now saying... I wouldn't fuck with the biker clubs. Their connections run deep. And they're not going to be playing with you. This is all over the internet right now. Especially Twitter. Because the freaks use Twitter. And you have to wonder about these. Millennials if you ask me. They're a bunch of fucking crybabies. 
But you think you're going to declare war on a 1% club? You're not ready for what's going to come at you. It actually made me laugh when I seen that they were declaring war <laughs> on bikers. This out of, I'm going to read it a little bit for you, out of Yahoo. It starts out by saying, this isn't going to end well. And you better fucking believe it won't end well. Not only are bikers rough and tough ain't going to play with you, a lot of them are military veterans that hate your fucking guts and your cause anyway. Back on Saturday, July 16th, members of Antifa flowed through on bows to try disrupting a gathering at the Honky Tonk Bar in Salem, Oregon. The result of the far-left group's action is what some are predicting to be a war between them and several motorcycle clubs throughout Oregon. <laughs> A bunch of fucking kids. Anyway. Originally, Antifa groups began rallying members and supporters to join a counter-demonstration for the Take Action Tour. Event being held at the Honky Tonk Bar. They characterized the venue's gathering as racist and catering to both fascists as well as white supremacists. It's funny. They're bringing out racists. And I've talked to a couple blacks. And they're like, them motherfuckers don't represent us. Most of Antifa's white. <laughs> they're white, you stupid fucks. When Antifa showed up in Black Block, their numbers were very few. Still, they used a megaphone to draw attention to the gathering out across the street from the bar. Arguing turned into shoving. Mace was deployed by Antifa. Then a group retreated away from the establishment entirely. Taken on, and this is true, taken on biker clubs usually doesn't end well for the opposing parties since they fight back. Unlike moms driving their kids through downtown Portland or Christian parents holding a concern in a park. And Antifa found out about that very quickly. Some of the comments are kind of funny in this article. Very funny. Here's the thing, and this from a Joe, a commenter. Especially one percenters don't forget disrespect. This isn't over yet. Typically, they leave civilians alone... And only brawl with other MCs. But when non-MC people become the aggressors, they will absolutely put them down. MC members don't run away from firecrackers and skateboards. <laughs> then Mike goes, Antifa tried this at Sturges. Did not go well for Antifa. Greg says Antifa good at the easy part to talk in. As for the fighting part, they are going to learn the hard way. People are not going to tolerate them any longer. 
They got their ass whooped at this state. And you know what was even better? Was the women. See, you got to, in a bar fight, you got to keep your eye on a woman. Out of the corner of your eye, whatever you have to do. Because they will whoop your ass. They will grab a beer bottle. Or they'll grab a pool stick and fuck you up. And Tifa found that out real fucking quick. You don't fuck with a woman biker. You're stupid. They will kick your ass. So it seems like Antifa went all over the internet saying, we all have to get together and fight these fascist racist pigs. They don't even know the word fascist and what it means. Fucking morons. These are a bunch of these cocksuckers that are coming out of Berkeley and all these liberal fuckers coming out of the little colleges acting like they're in the 1960s. Which, by the way, the 1960s, all these protesters and all these tree-hugger honeybun, they're the one that ruined this country. You're seeing the effects of them right now. Another thing out, nobody trusts the news anymore. Gallup found Americans' confidence in the news media is gone. Now they say only 16% of Americans trust the news media. It's all about politics, it's all about fashions, tribes, all that shit now. And what's funny is, those that go woke, go broke, baby. A lot of these streaming services like Netflix, they're just going bankrupt now. They took off Samantha Bee's program yesterday. That bitch couldn't be funny for the last seven years, even if she tried. They got rid of her. They're going a different direction. Because you people stood up for what was right. You weren't buying into the woke bullshit. And you got to congratulate yourselves for that. See, they always wanted to go on these boycotts. So it scared the shit out of corporations. Problem was... They're a small freaking minority of Americans. The majority of Americans don't think that way. And they found out with all this woke programming. Come on, who the hell makes a freaking series about a dude getting fucking pregnant? Logic just don't work for these people. Now, of course, Democrats, when they break it down, they actually trust these fucking morons at the news media. It takes a lot where you got to research yourself to find out the truth. Depending on what side of the aisle you're on, you're going to take whatever position that you're listening to. But I'm really happy that Americans now are waking up and saying, enough is enough with you bullshitters. 
Come on, with the Antifa stuff, you they will not show anything about them people. Even though they're burning down buildings. And, what the hell is with you, Portland? Why do you elect these freaking tree-hugging pansies who won't stand up for your security? You're paying taxes. Why would you want to live like that? That's the big thing. I never understood why live like that. Are you fucking crazy? You're letting a bunch of brats running around burning your shit? Because you don't want to hurt their feelings? And what's up with you cops? Usually you're going around acting like badasses. Now you put your freaking head between your legs. You got no balls anymore. But you can sure freaking profile clubs and bikers, you cocksuckers. Anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. China Dow should be coming back tomorrow. Don't forget to like and subscribe to all our platforms. Really appreciate you guys turning in. There'll be more on Little Dave. Rock on. And that's all for Motorcycle Madhouse this morning. Don't forget to go over to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Install Insane Throttle TV's channel over on Roku. As well as go get the Insane Throttle radio app over on Google Play. Rock on until next time.